Walking through the Psalms this summer, according to the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. We're looking at each Psalm in terms of one of those fruit. And this morning, we're going to consider the question, can we really change for the good? Can we really change for the good? Psalm 51. Would you turn in your Bibles? I'm going to start mentioning that every Sunday. I'd, I'd, I'd love for us to be known as a church, people of the Word, people who uh, spend time in the Word, people of one book, people who, uh, who have a freedom even to make notes in the margins, to own that Scripture, have that on your lap, open or on your phone, but preferably something, you know, something solid. It's a little different reading the actual you know, reading something that you can touch and return to. Psalm 51. I'm going to pick up with verse 3 after uh, Bryant read that opening scripture in the morning. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About a month ago, I went to my college roommate's daughter's wedding, and those occasions bring a group of, of six of us together 
six, uh, six guys that have known each other from college. And it's amazing. I hope you've had this experience where when you have not seen people that you're really uh, attached to, people that you're walking through life with, when you get back together, you just sort of pick up where you left off, right? Isn't it amazing? I love that. You find those old familiar ways and, uh, and just the way that you connect and give each other a hard time or whatever it is, however you, you operate together. And it kind of makes me wonder, do people change? You know, when you, when you don't see someone for a long period of time and you connect right again, it, it may suggest that people don't change. And in some ways, you know, in terms of understanding the person's personality, that, that may be true. To some extent, you, you know each other and, and there's a certain character there. Uh, but there is a, a trend that eschews change altogether. There's a trend that, that says change at any level on any layer of human life is not possible. And that trend says, just deal with it. This is who I am, right? Just deal with it. You know, whether it's greed or whether it's anger or, or, or lust, you know, it's just like, this is just who I am, you know? There's nothing I can do about it. And so you're just going to have to deal with me as I am. Oh, I, you know, you think about it, it's kind of funny uh, on the level of, of children, right? Um, you think uh, a, a child, uh, their reaction in anger is to slam a door, perhaps. Imagine that child saying to you, look, I'm just a door slammer. That's just what I am. I'm just a door slammer. Dad, Mom, you're just going to have to get over it. That's how God made me. I'm a door slammer. It's ridiculous. There's certainly a layer where change is possible, expected, needed. There's a, there's a, a group of scholars at Emory University who wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. Robert Bella was the, the lead on this. And the, the technical term of what what I'm talking about this morning, this resistance to change, is called expressive individualism. It's the idea that the individual self is to be reverenced above the common good. I'm just a door slammer. That's just who I am. And for me to be my authentic self, you know, all the rest of the world is going to have to adjust to me rather than seeing that there is some call to the common good that we all share. And for us to participate in that good and to be hopeful about ourselves to participate in that good is to recognize that there is a power that can change us. There is a need for us to change for the good. Now, I have a theory, and, 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 and my theory is, is this, that, that because when, when people give up or haven't experienced the mercy of God through the atoning blood of Christ, when people don't have any way to let go of the past, when people haven't experienced the mercy of God or have given up on the hope of 
the atonement and have no way to, to sort of exchange or, or no way to let go of those things that, that are bothering them about themselves. When people give up on change, what they do is they, they sort of reinvent a whole new system of faith. And that is just to put faith in themselves and to make the self the, the reverenced and highest good. Uh, once upon a time, I mean, even before the 20th century, really for century upon century upon century upon century, traditional cultures have always seen that evil springs from thinking of the self above all other things. One of the, 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 the most important doctrinal points that we carry as people of this book is that there is a need for the self to change. Is change possible? It is possible. And it's possible through the experience of the mercy of God. It's that simple. So we're going to look at this morning at, at what happens when you experience the mercy of God. What is that experience like? So it's, it, what's the point of experience? What is the pursuit? The pursuit of mercy. And what's the practice of mercy? So what's, experience, what's the experience of mercy like? What's the point of it? And then... How do we continue to experience? What's that pursuit look like? How do we continue to experience the mercy of God? And then how do we practice the mercy of God in our daily lives? Does that make sense? That's where we're going. Point, pursuit, practice. Let's go. First, the point of the mercy of God. We experience the mercy of God. What word would you put it on it? We experience the mercy of God like what? What's it like to experience the mercy of God? What's it like? What, 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 what word would you... If you needed to ex express this to somebody who had never experienced the mercy of God, what word would you, would you want to put on it to, to, to help connect them, to help them see that this is an invitation from God to them? What word would you put on it? The word I would put on it, the word that I see emerging is freedom. Freedom. We experience the mercy of God as freedom. David's sense of freedom just pops out in every line of this psalm. You know, a lot of times we think of, of freedom as, as something we're, freedom, we, we're free for, right? We want to think of ourselves as free to do something or free to be something, free to pursue something, freedom for. And we skip over the fact that we need to be free from, free from our past, free from patterns, free from, from plaguing thoughts, free from vices that... That, that clog up our relationships. You know, about a month ago, I, I saw people recommending watching the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan as part of, of, of commemorating Memorial Day. Have you ever made this to your practice? Some, some of you, I think I've, I've heard from some of you that you do this as well, that you watch Saving Private Ryan around Memorial Day as a, a way of, of just sort of remembering the sacrifice of people in your life or generations hence. 
And, um, and, and you know, the storyline of that is it's a beautiful storyline except for one thing. At the very end, you see uh, the, the captain of this, this little squad that goes to find Ryan, who's, who, who, para, who is part of the 101st uh, paratroopers who went in and they got scattered somewhere in France. And this squad of Americans goes and finds Ryan. And as a result, most of their squad is killed. The captain is sitting there, played by Tom Hanks. The captain is sitting there, and he's looking at Ryan. And it's, it's clear that, that the captain is, a, is about to die. And reinforcements have come in, and Ryan is probably going to survive. And he looks at Ryan, and he says... In his dying breath, he says, earn this. Earn this. And the closing scene of the movie is Ryan, at the end of his life, ironically to me, looking at a headstone in the form of a cross and uncertain, unsure, burdened, imprisoned by the thought that maybe he didn't live a life that earned it enough. Without the mercy of God, we have the burden of having to earn and to earn and to earn, to wake up every day and wonder about a new verdict. If you don't have the mercy of God, you're imprisoned to a daily sense of what the verdict may or may not be over your life. This is a great illustration about what it looks like in the opposite. So I've shown you the, what it looks like to, to be burdened, to earn. But what does it look like to be free from that burden of performance? I heard this story about Houdini, the great escape artist. And Houdini was was uh, put into this cell. And he had one little piece of metal. And he was, he was you know, going to unlock this and, and let himself out of, of this cell. And he was working on it and working on it. And he knew exactly what it would sound like if uh, the lock clicked, right? And so he, he knew that as soon as that lock made that noise that he would be able to be out. And he kept working on it and working on it and, and working on it. And he got frustrated, started to sweat, and, and it just wouldn't click. And finally, he gave up. And he kind of was exasperated and just kind of sat down and leaned against the door, and it opened up on its own because it was already unlocked. He was trying to unlock an unlocked door. And this is the message that you see in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Well, what's hyssop? Hyssop is a, is a branch of, uh, it's kind of herb. It's sort of in the mint family. And sometimes what people look at, they look at this, some commentators think that what this is about is putting this into oil and, um, and letting it soak in oil until it has the properties, you know, throughout that oil and then it's applied, you know, as a soothing element. To your skin. But hyssop was also recommended as the, the branch that was used 
in the Passover. So you, you were to, in the, in, in the, 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 the days of, of the Passover, when they would mark the, uh, the threshold with the blood of a lamb, they would use a hyssop branch. And some commentators believe that this is the, David's reference here. And I think that's true. I think what's happening is he's saying, you've already passed over my household. And what he's saying is, now bring it home. Bring your mercy home to me personally. Not just in a general way, not just over my household, not just to, to, to us as a nation, but bring your mercy to me personally. Cleanse me. Purge me as one who has marked the threshold of his life with hyssop. The mercy of God is the experience of freedom. Freedom. And so in, unless you've experienced that mercy of God, then the rest of what I'm, I'm going to tell you isn't going to make any sense whatsoever. Every one of us needs to understand on a personal level the experience of the freedom of the mercy of God. So that what? So that we will pursue it like water, so that we will pursue freedom like water. You see, once you taste water, once you taste uh, the, the, the way that water quenches your thirst, nothing else will do. We were just in Colorado for the General Assembly, and we stayed a few extra days and hiked up some mountains. And you know, in that, that, uh, that high elevation, you get thirsty pretty quickly. Uh, the air is thin. Uh, it, it, and at the higher elevations, you know, for whatever reason, I, you know, some doctor will tell me after this, but there's a reason why you get thirstier at these higher elevations. And so you have to be constantly drinking water. So, you know, a lot of times you, you and I go through the day, we don't experience thirst. We, we kind of just, you know, have a routine and we have, you know, something to drink at each meal. And we hardly ever experience thirst unless maybe you go and exercise. So that experience of, of being thirsty reminds you that there are times when you don't want a Coke. <laughs> you don't want something sweet. The sweetest thing to thirst, real thirst, is pure water. That's what you want. That, that's what you long for. That's, 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 that's what, what you crave. And when you've tasted mercy... When you've really tasted mercy, then you want more of it. And, and so what I want to do is I want to point you to, to verse 10 and look at it again. It says, he, says this, he says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Throughout, this is just one example throughout this psalm where there is a longing, a thirsting after God. There is something that David is expressing that says, I have a need that you can meet. And he's pursuing more of the mercy he has experienced. Why? Why? I mean, 
isn't it just one and done? I mean, you've experienced the mercy of God. You're done, right? You know, you know that you're a child of God. You know that, uh, that God has forgiven you. You're done, right? Well, let me, let me explain the reason why we, we are called to pursue God and why he puts this hunger and thirst for righteousness within us. By contrasting within a couple uh, the difference between the knowledge of God that's... that's um, general and the knowledge of God that's more personal. Uh, John Feinberg and his wife, John is a um, professor at, um, at the, the school of Divinity School in near Chicago. It's called TEDS, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, very fine divinity school near Chicago. He is the chairman of the Department of Theology, and he's written a book about their experience of his wife developing Huntington's disease. Huntington's disease is not curable. Uh, it, it, in, it involves a great deal of suffering, a breakdown of the nerves, and uh, a loss of, of brain function eventually. And they're, they're describing uh, in this book their different responses to this situation. Here is a man who is one of the top theologians in the country. And he's looking at his wife and he's recognizing, and he's saying this in the book, that, that she, her response is so much more faithful, more powerful, uh, and more peaceful than his. Why? You see, the pursuit of the knowledge of God must also draw out the knowledge of yourself. Pursuing the knowledge of God, pursuing the mercy of God then, pursuing the knowledge of God through his mercy is to bring it into you. It's to say, don't just purge me with hyssop over my household. Purge me. Bring more mercy into my life. Bring it into places that I don't know it. It's to recognize that there are places in your life that have yet to experience the mercy of God. Calvin talks about the knowledge of God being coupled with the knowledge of yourself. That unless you're learning more about you than the knowledge that you have of God is not really worth much. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux puts it this way. He says, to pursue knowledge for its own sake is curiosity. Some people pursue knowledge for curiosity's sake. Some people pursue knowledge so that they may sell themselves be known, and that's vanity. And some people pursue knowledge so that they may be known to God, known to others, and serve, and that's love. You can pursue knowledge for its own sake, you can pursue it for the sake of your own self and vanity. You can pursue it that you may yourself be known and serve others. Pursuing God's mercy is to apply personally the knowledge of God to you and your life and the places that need to be refreshed with just that pure glass, that pure bottle of water. Nothing else will do. Psalm 1 puts it this way. Psalm 1, it says that, that to meditate on the word of God 
uh, in terms of understanding God on a personal level is, is to murmur over it the way like a dog might murmur over its rawhide bone, right? It's just to just kind of savor it, you know? Just imagine that. It's kind of a crazy image for this thing, but, but just sort of, just, just kind of spending time over it in a way that's just marinating in it. Marinating. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Do you see that sense of a running stream? The forever and forever pursuit of God, not just for its own sake, but so that you may be known to yourself, so that the, the, the knowledge of God that you have is life-changing and personal. Finally, this. The point, of course, of the mercy of God is to experience freedom. The pursuit of freedom is ongoing in the places where we haven't experienced it yet on a personal level. But the practice of it, the practice of it is where we need to, to dwell for just a minute. The practice of the mercy of God that we practice in our lives, in our spheres of influence, the practice of the mercy of God goes only as far as we have experienced it ourselves. We practice the mercy we experience. You can't practice a mercy beyond or deeper or wider than you have experienced. Now you can see how important it is to continue to pursue. But let's, let's take a look at what it, how you practice this, this mercy of God. Uh, David's psalm here is, the context of it, of course, you know, people associate it with, with um, his brokenheartedness over the way that he, he treated um, Bathsheba and her husband. But it's, it's more than that. Nathan was a prophet in Israel, and Nathan stood alongside the king, prophet, priest, king, right? There were the priests, and they had a leadership role. The king had a leadership role. The prophets had a leadership role. Nathan was a prophet. Nathan risked his life to confront David about what he had done regarding Bathsheba how he stole this woman from this man. You know, there's, a, there, there's a place in, 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 um, in the historic books, Samuel, where, uh, where Nathan is saying to David, he's, he's describing to him someone who had a sheep, right? And this, this poor person who had a sheep and this rich person comes along and takes his only sheep. And, and he's speaking of David and he's sort of getting in the back door, and David's saying, who did this? Let's, let's bring him to justice. And Nathan says, you are that man. You're the one who stole Bathsheba. You had everything, but you stole a man's wife. And David was, was so broken by this confrontation that he went public with his repentance. Did you notice that? 
This is not just David's private journal entry. Psalm 51 became part of the, the hymnal of the people of Israel. Now, can you imagine that? What would my, uh, what would my uh, Psalm 51 in our red, new red hymnal, in, in, or what would yours look like? What would your Psalm 51 be like? Up on the screens here, we'd sing it next week. What would your psalm be like? What would, what would that be like to sing your Psalm 51 on the screen? And we all know that was you. Would you come next Sunday if you knew we were singing that song? Would you show up? See, what David is doing is saying, look, it's worse than any of us can even imagine. Our need is deeper. Our thirst is so much more thoroughly, uh, you know, evacuating of any virtue that we thought we had. You know, uh, somebody said, What's the last thing that any company would publish in their newsletter? What do you think? What's the last thing that any company would publish in their newsletter? Well, the last thing anybody would publish in their company newsletter is the fastest news that travels down the hallway. The rumors the things that everybody knows is true, but nobody's admitting outwardly and openly. You see, what, what David is saying is, look, we all know it. Everybody knows it. His slip is showing, right? He's got spinach in his teeth or however you want to put it. David is just confessing. He's saying, look, I need to be free of this, thoroughly free of this. And you know, as a result, David became one of the most influential people in human history. We don't believe that. We believe we're more influential when we're better than somebody else, right? We compare ourselves and, and, and we deny what's going on. We deny the fact that we continue to have needs. And so the way we try to have influence is to be better than other people. The way that David is demonstrating his influence is, he says, look, let me go all the way down, all the way down to the bottom of my sin. Lord, meet me down there with your wellspring of life. And then he says, verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You see, the mercy that we teach, the mercy that we extend, is only the mercy that we experience. You know, sometimes I, I, I look at the news like you, and I look at journalists who, who claim objectivity, and I don't buy it, right? Do you buy it? You buy the objectivity of most journalists these days? You know who, uh, what, what journalists I trust the most the journalists I trust the most are the ones who admit they're biased. The professors in, in college and in, in, in divinity school that I trusted the most were the ones who said, here's where I'm coming from. 
This is what I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I don't have a position here because I know it's going to come out, right? You see, what David is saying is we're able to change, we're able to participate in the common good more as we admit the need more for God's mercy. Some of you may be frustrated over uh, a relationship that you have of somebody else that you think needs to change. And it's one of the reasons why you think people won't change or don't change because you're very frustrated with that person. And you think, what am I going to do? How can I affect change in this person? Maybe it's a boss, a family member, or an old friend. You think, you know, this person is never going to change. There's nothing I can do. But then you look at Psalm 51 and you see how David influenced an entire nation. How? By admitting his own need. By continuing to be malleable in the hands of God. To continue to get mercy into his life in a place where it hadn't been before. And when people see your willingness to change, it is so influential to them. Oh, but you can't do it. You can't do it apart from freedom. You can't do it in order to just sort of secretly manipulate the situation and send a message to them. You have to be free, truly free indeed from that person. Imagine that person that, that you have in your life and they just won't change. And you think, well, maybe if I change, maybe if I do something more, then, then it's going to unlock that Houdini lock. But you need to be set free. The amazing thing is that the experience that David has, the experience that we have of God's mercy, frees us from having to change anybody else. When you experience that level of change, then you become an influential change agent in that person's life. You no longer are judging. You're free from having to change that person, free from having to take responsibility from them onto you, free from... Spending so much time looking at what they're doing and judging, judging, judging. Aren't you exhausted with the way that you're judging the people around you? Wouldn't you want to be set free from that and set free for the kind of influence that you see David having generation to generation such that even Christ was referenced in the line of David. Experience the mercy of God. Pursue the mercy of God like water. And extend it to others by getting more of it. Stay in the relationship, but extend that mercy by being free from all of the judgment that you have. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your streams of mercy never ceasing. May they call from us songs of loudest praise. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.